0: October 7th, 2021, this is the Hermetic Hour, and this, I'm your host, Phil Runyon, and tonight we feature a dramatic reading of the first chapter of The Tomb of Prester John, a new magical adventure novel by your Hermetic Hour host, myself, and uh, the protagonist of the story is the same Indiana Jones-ish anthropologist that I created and portrayed in the film Beyond Lemuria, where you saw Doc Rowland exploring the ruined city of Nan Madol in the Pacific. In this new adventure, Rowland and his beautiful belly-dancing lady archaeologist Sophie Nasrani go in search of the fabulous tomb of the legendary medieval priest-king Prester John. They have a 12th-century letter written by Prester John to the Emperor Frederick Barbarossa of Germany and an antique magic lantern to decode the script. They know the tomb is located somewhere east of Samarkand, but Sophie must evoke the prophetess Jezebel in a full-moon ritual dance. Throughout their adventure, they are stalked by Sophie's former lover, Khalil Ibn Iblis, a terrorist who believes that he is the reincarnation of Hassan Saba and has revived the cult of the assassins. As the tale progresses, we will air it chapter by chapter on the Hermetic Hour. So if you want to get in at the beginning, stay with us tonight and get ready for high adventure. This is Chapter 1, Doc Rowland and the Tomb of Prester John, Chapter 1, The Lamp of Truth. Professor Marion Doc Rowland waited until he returned home to open the package that had been delivered to his office at the UCF campus that afternoon. It had been forwarded to him from the United States Consulate in Beirut, Lebanon sent by a lady archaeologist, a colleague he was working with, on a research project. She had mailed it through the U.S. consulate for diplomatic immunity to avoid Lebanese customs. She could do this thanks to MythTech, the CIA think tank that Doc Rowland and Professor Sophia Nazrani of the American University in Beirut both belong to. She had emailed him telling him that the light of truth is on the way to you, so he had some idea of what was in the package. Well, he mixed his evening shot of scotch on the rocks, stuffed his crusty old briar pipe with pungent Amazon shamanic tobacco from a leather pouch made of human skin, sat down in his easy chair and flipped open his Gerber covert knife to rip into the package. Inside was a letter in an envelope marked personal to Doc Roland, and an artifact swathed in bubble wrap. The object was almost 18 inches long. Roland unwrapped it carefully, revealing a long copper tube with a brass dome on one end and a brass oil lamp on the other. The copper tube was perforated with slots in a random pattern. It was obviously very old, but the elements pulled apart easily. Inside the tube, forming a central skeleton, was an armature of small mirrors to reflect light out of the slots in the sleeve. The device was a sort of a magic lantern. Roland stood the lamp upright on the desk and sat down. He finished his drink and lit up his pipe, clamping it in his teeth as he opened up the letter from Sophie Nazrami. Dr. Sophie Nasrani, Ph.D., a brilliant anthropology professor at the American University of Beirut. He had met her at Stanford years ago and had worked with her on several projects over the last 10 years. Working with Sophie, especially in the field, was always an adventure. She was a beautiful woman with a provocatively voluptuous figure, a ballet dancer whose secret hobby was belly dancing. Although a devout Christian and always prudently dressed on campus. She wore short shorts and a loose shirt out on the digs. Doc remembered the time he had saved her from being gang-raped by Arab laborers. From then on, whenever he worked with Sophie, he carried a gun. Unfortunately, when you worked for MISTECH, you could carry one anywhere in the world where the U.N. blue flag was welcome. He opened... Her handwritten letter entailed a whiff of jasmine perfume and read, Buristock. I hope this finds you well and that you are still empowered to join me in the project we began two years ago. As you know, I have located one of the missing Prester John letters in Germany, the one intended for Frederick Barbarossa. Klaus informs me that it appears to be the original. Neither the parchment nor the ink are European and the carbon dating tests to the 12th century. Most importantly, we recovered the lamp of truth during Istanbul. I paid for it on my MythTech Visa card, $1 million USD. The lamp is said to be the key to deciphering Cressor John's code. I am sending you the lamp because it is not safe for me to keep it here. And I know Myth Tech wants to see it. The letter is still in Germany. We may have to settle for a photocopy, but we will need both the letter and the lamp when we visit, visit the Atria. Read the book of Revelation. Jezebel is the prophetess, and we must meet her there on the night of the full moon. Then on the Samarkand. How soon can you manage a month in your busy schedule for our adventure? Love which spans the ages, Sophie. Roland suppressed a vivid memory of Sophie dancing nude in the courtyard of an ancient ruined temple by moon and torchlight. Her lithe and sensuous honey glistening with oil, tattooed with the symbols of all the symbols of the planets and the signs of the zodiac, she was much woman. He opened his laptop and sent her an encrypted email. Hello, my lady. Lamp of proof received, I will show it to MT as soon as I can arrange a sit down with them on the PJ project. Be patient. PJ has run into political problems. Like everything else over here, Preston John is politically incorrect. Love we'll another indoor sports doc. He sent another encrypted email to the director of MythTech, the notorious billionaire Janos Kobronsky the owner of three major high-tech companies, including the firm that manufactured and programmed the voting machines used in most of the American population centers. Of course, MIFTEC was an NGO, a non-government organization, but its coordinator was a CIA case officer and it boasted all the power and influence of the agency and the State Department. Roland remembered that Gabrotsky had taken a personal interest in the Prester-John project, and had requested updates on it. His email to, to, to Gravansky was brief. To Director M.T. from Merlin, subject, Prestor John, via Crypto X1. We have received from Zenobia She has located the Barbarossa letter. She requests Project PJ operative, I concur. I request meeting to review, assess, and approve. Please reply ASAP. Ten minutes later, his phone rang. As soon as Roland identified himself, Gabronsky's heavily accented voice gruffed, Be in my office 9.30 tomorrow morning and bring that damn lamp with you. It was an hour and a half drive from Fullerton to the high-rise office building on Worcester Boulevard that Newt inhabited. Roland secured his SUV in the basement parking area and took the elevator directly to the seventh floor which was entirely dedicated to MythTech. Carrying a locked briefcase chained to his left wrist, he stepped out into a security vestibule equipped with several surveillance systems, rectal scan, card entry, digital keyboard, and a metal detector. The 9mm automatic under his left shoulder started the metal detector squealing, but his card and PIN number silenced the alarm and the inner door clicked open admitting him to a conventional office building hallway. Suite 702 was the first door on the left. He entered and nodded to Gabronsky's secretary. Is the boss in? Waiting for you, she said, gesturing toward the conference room. Roland entered and confronted Gabronsky and Smedley, their agency coordinator, sitting across the table from a chair they had obviously positioned for him. Smedley had a stack of files and a computer tablet in front of him. Gabronsky's gimlet-eyed stare was intended to be intimidating. Rowland suspected that he practiced scowling exercises to accompany his Dracula accent. Sit down, Nadian, and show us the lamp of truth. We are anxious to be enlightened. Roland seated himself, placing his briefcase on the table, He tapped the keys on his wrist cuff to release the medical chain to the the briefcase and then the buttons on the case to open it. Inside was the lamp wrapped in a towel. He unwrapped the relic and stood it upright on the table. Smedley held up his tablet displaying a black and white photo of an identical artifact. It's already on Wikipedia, Doc. What isn't these days, Roland grunted? Well, do you think it's worth the? Do you think it's worth the million dollars? Gabronsky asked. Oh, that's pocket money in your league, Janos. Roland replied. Well, the more I look into this, the more I am inclined to think that the letter was a joke and the lamp was a toy. Janos Jabransky muttered. Uh, that's what the Chinese think, but they think Marco Polo invented Mister John, and we know better. Rowland countered as he began his pipe-loading ritual. You mean Sophia Nasrani knows better, Smedley interjected. I've checked out all her research. It's solid. Yeludashi was Prester John, and Karakatai was his empire. The Chinese don't like it, but they don't like anything that confirms Christianity in the history of Central Asia. What? used the motto of myth Marion Janos Jabransky inquired. Controlling the power of belief for world peace, Professor Roland answered. That is also a prime directive, the director added, which put the preston John project in line with other discoveries, such as the Nagamati Library and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which tend to undermine and depower fundamental judeo Religion. In keeping with our cultural protocols. So we authorized and funded you and Miss Nazrani's project. But unfortunately your project does not conform with Chinese communist cultural paradigms. Oh, so MythTech is terminating the project? Well, officially, yes. But unofficially, you and Dr. Nazrani are still in business. You will be funded and supplied from a covert source. Like hell we will, Doc Rowland roared as he rose from his chair. You want me to fly halfway around the world and go digging in the field with MSS agents tracking us? I might do it alone, but I will not endanger Sophie. You can keep the damn lap. You paid for it. I quit. Rowland growled as he turned to leave the conference room. Sit down, Captain Rowland, Smedley barked. You'll go as a civilian contractor or as a special forces officer on detached service. I'll have you back on active duty by tomorrow morning. Professor Marion Rowland, who was also Captain Marion Rowland in the U.S. Army Reserve, knew that Agent Smedley of CIA could and would do just what he threatened. He sat back down. I said I might do it alone, but you'll have to give Sophie a chance to back out of this. Oh, we did, Dobronsky said. She knows about the Chinese objection and our formal project cancellation, but she was still willing and even anxious to proceed. We issued her a new credit card from XYZ Corporation, so if you don't go with her, she may find somebody to replace you, and that would compromise the project from our position. One of her faculty colleagues, Roland asked, no. A former boyfriend. Roland remembered that Sophie had told him of a teenage romance she had had with a Muslim Persian boy when she was rebelling against her strict Christian convent upbringing. It had not gone well, but she had admitted to some fond memories of the affair. Smedley slid a mugshot of a man across the table. The man was 30-ish, bearded, with a piercing gaze and a wicked scar bisecting his face from the left temple to the right cheekbone. He looks dangerous, Roland, observed. Smedley sent another photo across the table showing the same man decapitating a live victim with a saw-bladed hunting knife. Who is he, Roland asked. Well, he was Khalil Osmani. Now they call him Khalil Ibn Iblis. He claims to be a reincarnation of Hassan Saba, the imam of the assassins, and he's trying to reestablish the old cult. He wants to rebuild Almut Castle. What does he have to do with the P.J. Project? Smedley slid over another photo, a teenage girl with her arm around a teenage boy, both smiling at the camera. Doc did not need to study the picture. He knew the girl was certainly Sophie, and that the boy was obviously Khalil, okay, so they knew each other. She told me he was that it was over in six months. no big deal, but she had also told him that Khalil was psychic, had conversations with angels, and had hypnotized her on several occasions. He had introduced her to the occult. Smedley opened the file. This is your dossier. Did you know that she lived with him in San Francisco in the 1990s? That's when she got those tattoos all over her body. She had worked as a belly dancer in a nightclub while they both attended Stanford. That's where I first met her, Roland confirmed. All this time, all this came as a shock to Doc Roland. He had never pried into Sophie's private life. He had just accepted her as she was and let her tell him as much as she wanted to about her life outside of academia. Is she still in contact with Khalil? Roland asked. No, she defriended him on Facebook, Smedley replied. Well, I don't do Facebook, Roland grunted. Yeah, but post Facebook does you, Smedley grunted back. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Let's wrap this up, Gabronsky. said, I have another appointment in 15 minutes. The operation is on. I'll summarize it for the record. All right. In 12th century, European Christendom was losing the Crusader War in the Holy Land. The Crusaders needed a strong Eastern ally to open a second front against the Muslim forces of Saladin. They believed that an Estonian Christian priest-king they called Prester John ruled a large Central Asian empire that extended from Tibet to the Caspian Sea. This was the empire of Karakatai, the black Chinese, a race of Tatars, mostly Estonian Christians, driven out of northern China by the Han Chinese into the Tarim Basin and beyond. Their leader was a warlord named Yelu Dashi, who nearly conquered Persia in eleven forty four AD. Now he may we, we may assume that Yeludashi Khan, like the Emperor Constantine, may have been baptized on his deathbed three years later, after the battle by Bishop Johannes of the Nestorian Church in Samarkand. But in any case, twenty years later after his death, Three identical letters from Prester John were received by the Pope, the Emperor of Byzantium, and Frederick Barbarossa, Emperor of Germany. These letters were mostly a catalog of the famous, rich, fabulous riches of Prester John's kingdom. They were not the offer of military assistance that the European sovereigns needed, and thus they were not taken seriously. Only one original copy survived, which is now in the Ethnological Museum in Berlin, Germany. A few years after the letters were received, a European traveler on the Silk Road, a certain Sir John de Mandeville, returned with a relic he claimed would decode the mysterious letter from Prester John. He sold the lamp of truth to the Byzantines, and we acquired it from private from a private collector in Istanbul. This anthropologists Marion Roland Merlin and Sophie uh, Nasrani Zenobia are convinced that the letter is actually a code map to the tomb of Yeludashi, which would contain a treasure equal to the value of the 1900s Romanov Gold Reserve. The political economic value of such a hoard overcomes any cultural objections from our Chinese colleagues. And myth Declares Project Prester John operational. Good hunting, Doc, Gabransky added. It was the first time the director had ever called him, Doc. Thanks, Janos, Doc replied. I'm surprised you believe in it. I don't. John de Mandeville was a Baron Munchausen. This is what you call a long shot, a very expensive long shot. You may go. And don't forget your lap. Smedley placed a Kevlar ammo pouch on the table. You may need this, he said. Doc Rowland ripped open the the Velcro flap. The pouch contained a threaded pistol barrel, an eight-inch long suppressor tube, and a 50-round box of subsonic 9-millimeter cartridges. They're still carrying that Browning high power, Smedley asked. Rowland nodded. Silence is golden," the CIA agent observed. "Well, let's hope so," Doc Rowan replied, as he wrapped up the lamp of truth and returned it and the Kevlar ammo pouch to his briefcase. And that's the end of chapter one. So we're off. We're off and running. We're not going to be presenting this uh, uh, every week because it's still a work in progress. And so, consequently, we may go. We may go. Uh, one chapter, and then then do a do another program, and then uh, then pick it up with the, when we get the next chapter done, we'll we'll pick it up. So, so if you as you listen to the Hermetic Hour, you're going to be you're going to be involved in the in the creation. You're actually going to be involved in the creation of this of this story. And next week, next week we're running the Splendor Solace. This is an ancient alchemical manuscript. Attributed to Solomon Trismoesen, who was apparently one of Agrippa's mentors. So it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating uh, story. It's a fascinating ancient manuscript. So so, uh, be sure to tune in next week, and and then after that we may have we may have another chapter of the adventure, the adventure story for you. Anyway, see you next week, and good magic.